Uh, you may be seated. If you're visiting with us, uh, you get to experience uh, something that I look forward to all week, which is just hearing God's people sing. It's really valuable to us, and we believe it is such a central part of worship that we always work to make sure that uh, the band is helping the congregation, right? And that's how they view it. We have to lift our voices up uh, to sing God's praises. So grateful for that. been looking forward to it all day. Let's open up our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. You can grab a Bible underneath your chair if you want to follow along. You enter into Good Friday, and if you do any thinking about it, you usually wind up asking the question, what makes this Friday so good, especially if it's the day in which we remember, even sing about Christ's murder, Christ's death. So maybe we take a step back for a minute to kind of ask ourselves, what makes our day a good day? What's a good day? When you think about that in your own mind, you go like, what? what's a good day? And I, you know, I might think like good coffee, good donut, good cigar. That's, if I have those three things, that's going to be a good day, right, in my mind. Maybe there's, there are certain things that, make, that bring it all together for you. Realistically, though, I know that a lot of us would be so happy to have a good day that simply meant we didn't hurt anymore that day. If we weren't in, pa- in pain, in agony, in doubt, if we weren't suffering or if the people that we love weren't hurting, that would be a good day. Just the absence of affliction for many of you would make for a very good day. And then we start talking about Good Friday. And yes, it is the day in which Christ dies. And this is a different kind of good Or maybe it's just the right kind of good that not only changes our eternity, our our future, but maybe it is the good that changes our present as well. What makes Good Friday so good? What makes the death of Jesus a good death to die, a death worth dying? And it's because we... We see in the death of Jesus, we see his beauty and his work. And here's the principle I want you to hold on to as we look at God's word here briefly tonight. The death of Jesus is a glorious good for sinners. It's not just good, it's the highest good, the best good for sinners like like you and me. So what makes it good? I'll tell you on the front end. Here's how we're going to look at this particular verse, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. We're going to read it in a second. The death of Jesus is good because on the cross we see first the humanity and the humility of the Son, of Jesus. Second, we see the, the glory and the honor of the Son. And third, yes, we see the suffering and death of the Son, and even that specifically, is good. So Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, it says, 
But we see him, speaking of Jesus, right? The, the author of Hebrews is speaking of Christ. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that we receive your grace through your son Jesus because of his death on the cross and and even through your word which tells us all about it. God, we pray that you would be changing our hearts and our minds tonight, maybe for the first time, maybe for the first time in a long time. But God, we pray that you would do a great work in each of us individually and all of us together here. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, we see the humility and the humanity of Jesus, the humility and the humanity of the Son. Now, this statement right here, right, in context from Hebrews chapter 2, the author of Hebrews is pointing us to Jesus and how Jesus is the better, right, the better of all things in the Old Covenant, the fulfillment of all things in the Old Covenant. And so what he's doing here is he's actually quoting from Psalm 8, which we read earlier, right? You made him who... for a little while, lower than the angels, lower than the angels. Here we see the humility and the humanity of Jesus. How is Christ, or how was Christ, made lower than the angels? In context here, Psalm 8 is speaking both in generality that humanity is made lower than the angels and that Christ temporarily was made lower than the angels. Humanity is lower than the angels in that we are subject to Change and frailty and brokenness, hunger, even death. Sin has come into humanity and continues to wreak havoc. So in that sense, even though we are made in the image of God and we are precious in God's sight, we are lower than the angels. We age. We grow tired and weary. And so in that sense, Jesus was made lower than the angels in his humanity, Right? Obviously, Jesus, the Son of God, co-eternal with the Father and the Spirit, Jesus who has no beginning or end, the one through whom all things have been made and the one in whom all things hold together, that Jesus is not lower than the angels. He is exalted on high. But there is a sense in which, in his humanity, he is or was for a period of time lower than the angels because in that setting, in that context, during his earthly ministry, he was subject to temptations. He experienced hunger pangs, the the feeling of desertion from friends and family. He knows what it is to lose friends to death and mourn over it. He knows what it's like to be tempted just like you and me. Jesus knows what a bad day is. So yes, in that sense, he was for a little while made lower than the angels. This passage for us is significant. That Christ would condescend in that way to love us. We we, we say condescend, it usually means it's a bad thing. If I speak to you condescendingly, it means I'm using that sing-songy know-it-all voice. Well... I guess we didn't do our homework, did we? Like, that's the kind of condescending, you know, I'm better than you kind of a thing. Thing is, with God, uh, he is better than you. 
He is better than me. He is great and magnificent and holy and pure, and we are impure and unholy and unrighteous and rebellious and lazy and wicked and all these other things. And God stoops down. He condescends to love us. We like to love people that are worthy of our love. And that's not all bad, right? You find somebody worthy, a good person, somebody significant, and and you commit yourself to them. But then in short order, what you find out is like, oh, wow, they're like me. Broken, weary, weak, stubborn, annoying, smelly, all the things that come with life if you spend life together. But if you've learned love, then you learn to love them anyway, right? You love them with perseverance. You seek them despite their... So there is a condescending love even that we can offer one another, but, but in Christ's adopting of humanity, taking on a human nature, it's a condescension that's based in love. You guys know the passage, John three sixteen. Listen, I, I didn't know the Bible growing up. I didn't read the Bible. I didn't go to church. I didn't have any of those experiences. But I'd at least heard John 3.16. I at least saw the reference in the football stands, banner man holding up that thing, John 3.16 all the time. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. The giving of the son includes the incarnation. That's an important word that we use as Christians, right? It means that the son of God, eternal son of God, took on flesh and blood and bone. He became like us, one of us, with a human nature. He lowered, condescended himself to us for a specific purpose. We'll talk about it. So we see the humility and the humanity of the Son because this is the only context in which the Son of God could be crucified. He had to be like us. We also see in Hebrews 2.9 the glory and honor of the Son. Right? We see him for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus. Now, right, that's the implication. Now, crowned with glory and honor. How is Jesus crowned with glory and honor? Jesus is not just the one who died, but he is the one who died and now lives. We believe in the life and the death and the resurrection of the Son of God. And Jesus lived, died, and continues to live. Yes, he died, but he rose, and he ascended into heaven, and from heaven he sits on a throne and reigns, and we await his second coming, his return. Jesus is an exalted savior. He is is not a martyr. He is not a past leader. He is one who reigns. Ephesians is an important passage for, um, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through uh, 23, it's a really important passage for many of us because here we get this clear depiction, explanation of Jesus as the one who is exalted. So you can just listen, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. Here is Paul's prayer for these Christians in the city of Ephesus. It says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in all of my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. 
having the eyes of your hearts enlightened so that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ. Now listen. When he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That's Jesus. Resurrected reigning, supreme. Christians believe in the supremacy of Christ. We don't, we find our identity, our, our, our value, our passion in the supremacy of Christ, not in any worldly ideology or politic, as relatively important as those things can be. Jesus for us is Everything. Jesus is the exalted Savior. So he is crowned and he is honored, right? To say that he is crowned means that he is king. If Jesus is king, it means that we are his subjects, his servants, citizens of his kingdom. He speaks and we listen. He protects and we are safe. He rules and he reigns and we are provided for. That's Jesus as king for the Christian. You know, I'm not one of those guys that, you know, says... That's not my president, because if I don't vote for the guy, uh, that's our president, right? If you like him, hate him, whatever, and every, you know, four to eight years, we trade sides, like who's going to complain about who the president is now? Sometimes, lately, we all kind of complain about it, because they're all kind of a waste, but it's like, okay, that's not, it's like, it's fine. Listen, that is your earthly president, and that come, there comes with that certain responsibilities, upon the part of our leaders and citizens of our country. Jesus is our true king. And unlike worldly leaders, common worldly leaders, he is the one who not only reigns, but who also served. He's not just one who is pure and right, but also one who is humble and loving. He's crowned. And he is glorious, right? Even in his dying, even in his dying, he is glorious. And what we have to keep in mind is that we think, if we have this tendency to think, oh, the death of Jesus is where Jesus got beat up and, and Jesus got tortured and Jesus died and it was a bad thing. There was definitely sin and evil happening in that moment. The murder of Jesus was a sinful act perpetrated by sinful human beings. But Jesus is not passive in his death. He is actively offering himself up as a substitute for sinners. He's actually, while he is dying, he is actually saving. Because this this path to glory is through the cross. Listen to Philippians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Right? So if we go back to Philippians, it 
It says in verse 8, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So there's the, the humility, right? The Son of God who gives laws. The Son of God from whom laws emanate who created humanity, he was found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, where does that take him? Verse 9, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Jesus' exaltation... Right? His coronation follows his humiliation. So we need to consider the suffering and the death of Jesus as one of the, the means by which we see his beauty, as ugly as, as ugly as the crucifixion is inherently. It's torture. It's, it's horrible. It's an inhumane method of execution. Even if you're for execution... You're not for crucifixion. Not if, you're, not if you're thinking with the thoughts of God towards even sinful humanity. But even then, Jesus is accomplishing divine will and recovering and redeeming sinful people. The path to the glory is the cross. And what's happening on the cross? What, I mean, what's really happening there? A lot of times people think like, well, what's really happening, then they'll, they'll break it down, especially on Good Friday, right? They like to show clips from The Passion of the Christ, you know, which is a weird movie. I mean, I liked it, but it's a little, some weird extra catholic kind of stuff that Protestants don't really believe in, but most of it was, was pretty good and accurate. And then a lot of us don't like depictions of Jesus in film, so they get weirded out by it, but a lot of churches will show that. And then they'll go into great detail about the physical affliction and what really happens in terms of suffocation and all of that in the midst of crucifixion as if that's the most significant thing that's happening there. It's important, but it's really not the most significant thing. Yes, Jesus suffered, but his suffering went beyond physical affliction because he suffered the justice of the Father for our sins. He experienced hell. We use that word a lot, right? It's like it's a, it's a hellish experience. Oh, hell on earth! We like it means it's bad and it's painful. Hell is a demonstration of God's justice against wickedness. It's wrath, right? It's it's punishment, and Jesus experienced that. That's the deepest form of suffering when He experiences our punishment. And yes, He died, the Giver of life who is eternal, experiences death in his human nature. He is our substitute. He is taking our place. So everything that we deserve, by the way, everything we deserve from God in this life is negative. Everything is. He doesn't owe us life. He doesn't owe us happiness. He doesn't owe us fulfillment. He doesn't owe us kindness or forgiveness or anything. What we have earned from God on our own is his displeasure and his judgment. Jesus takes our place in order to take what we deserve, in order to give us what we do not. 
So in his substitution, he is taking our guilt, but he is extending to us his grace. And so our sins are taken away. The word that we use for that in the Christian faith is expiation, taken away. Sins are removed from us. He satisfies or quenches God's justice against our sins and crimes. That word that we use for that is propitiation. So all of this, right, his suffering, his death, his substitution, the expiation, the propitiation, the big word for all of that is redemption. That's what's happening on the cross. It's Good Friday because Jesus' death was a death worth dying because it's the means by which he redeems the unworthy. This redemption is a forgiveness of our sins and a reconciling of us to our maker so that we are finally and forever through faith in the Son at peace with God. This redemption, we see this kind of laid out for us in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. I love this, this passage because it's on point and poetic at the same time. 2 Corinthians 8 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. If you're unfamiliar with the passage, you maybe might get a little excited. <laughs> Riches, wealth, prosperity. Um, that's not the idea at all. The idea is that Jesus humbled himself, made himself poor by taking on a human nature and experiencing life in this world as one of us but without sin in order then to take our place and our punishment. He takes our poverty upon himself and gives us the riches of his grace and his kindness. That's what we have in Jesus. That's why Good Friday is good. And so now this central event in our faith in human history, the, the death of Jesus Christ is something that so defines us that it becomes the central message that we preach. If, if, if a church is a church in any real sense, it preaches Christ crucified. It preaches the Son of God who died for sinners. That's what we preach. We have a lot to say. We have a lot to say. The Bible is a big book, 66 books, right? Over 40 authors. There's a lot going on in here, so there's a lot to say, but our central message, the song that we sing, the thing that we're about, the thing that should unite us and define us is the crucifixion of our Lord. This is why Paul says, I decided to know nothing among you but Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's our most important message because it is the very thing that saves us. In 1 Corinthians... 15, Paul boils it down this way, verses three and four. He says, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised, and on, on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. I delivered to you of, as of first importance the most important thing. What is the first thing that he said? Christ died. And he didn't just die. He didn't just die as a, as a martyr or to teach us some sort of ethic, which he did die as a martyr of sorts, and he does teach us an ethic through his death, but it's something bigger than that is happening. He died for our sins in accordance with the scripture, meaning that this has been prophesied and promised for generations. 
This is why at the beginning of Corinthians, Paul says in chapter 1, verse 18, the word of the cross is folly, foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The word of the cross. It's another way of saying gospel or good news. But how does he phrase it? It's the word of suffering. It's the word of his death, the word of the cross. This is the thing that God has given us, that we preach, that we offer to others because it's the thing that saves us. In all of this, what we mean here is that this is a good thing. This is a good day. Good Friday is good because Jesus is not a victim, but a victor in his death because he is conquering death as he dies. He is defeating all spiritual enemies as he is sacrificed. He is offering up himself, and in doing so, he is reigning. It looks like he's waning. It looks like he's fading. It looks like he's gone. He's buried in the tomb, but then he comes out three days later because he wins. He's victorious for us all. Jesus is not the victim. He didn't just die. He delivered all of us, and his resurrection proves it. His resurrection demonstrates who he really is. So this is a death worth dying It was a loving sacrifice for sinners. This death was one that grants life. And if it's, I've been thinking about it like this all week. You know, what makes for a good day? What makes life worth living? Jesus died a death worth dying. And in doing so, he gives us a life worth living. Because it means that from this point on, every day God gives us is a good day. That doesn't mean easy or comfortable. It doesn't mean happy. It doesn't mean warm fuzzies. It means it's good because God is accomplishing his will. He's accomplishing good in us. His love remains upon us. Jesus remains with us every step along the way. God doesn't abandon us, but he redeems our afflictions We do not bear our crosses alone. God is with us. And so as Jesus was led by the Spirit out into the wilderness to suffer temptation, as Jesus was led by the Spirit to the crucifixion where he offered up his very life, he was never alone. His Father was with him. His suffering had purpose purpose that went far beyond the immediacy of what anybody can see. And so when you are wondering, like, is today going to be a good day? Meaning, am I going to be able to get through this day without pain and fear and uncertainty and terror and anxiety? Is it possible for me to have a good day today where I just don't have to think about the awful things that are true in my life? The reality is, it is a good day because it's the day the Lord has made And while, yes, we long for and pray for relief from our temporary, deep, and painful afflictions, while we do pray for deliverance from our fears, we have the assurance that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him. And so it's not the blocking out or the distraction from our afflictions that make today good. It's knowing that God is sovereign and loving and with us and for us in the midst of those situations that make today good. It's a good Friday because it doesn't end with a death. It ends with a resurrection. We don't walk around here at Redeemer pretending on Good Friday like, let's all pretend that we're sad and wondering where Jesus is. 
Is he still in the tomb? I know some churches do that, and I understand, I understand the methodology, like we're going to leave here thinking about the death and want to feel the weight of it, but that's not where we live. We live on the other side of the resurrection of Jesus. There is no sense in which we are supposed to walk away from this without the hope and the joy of the resurrection. The cross saves us. So there's joy in it, and Christ has been raised, and we are raised with him. That is our reality. So yes, it's a good Friday. What makes it a good Friday? Because in the cross, we see Christ's humility, his humanity. We see his glory. We see his honor. We, his, we see his suffering and his death that has divine purpose. We can see it. The question is, is do you believe it? When John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. The idea is that we believe in who Jesus really is and in what Jesus really did. It means that we trust, not just that he is the son of God, but that he is the son of God who died for us. We believe that his death was good because it was his plan to save a people for himself. And he invites all to be a part of that people. The death of Jesus doesn't just take away your sin, it gives you grace. And in it we remember God's love that is with us now and forever. So for us who are following Christ, it is Good Friday. Evil was perpetrated against Jesus, and yet it was planned all along to be used for good, for his glory, for our good. My hope is, is that every Christian will hold on to that and let that define or redefine their days today. And if you are not yet a believer, I would encourage you to look to Jesus, who takes away the sins and the guilt of people just like you. You are no worse and no better than anybody else here. And God's love is shown upon people just like you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask you that you would... Um, that you would show us where we are ignorant. Lord, we're all ignorant somewhere. Where we are doubting, we pray that you would bring confirmation and conviction that would lead to a true confession of Jesus as Lord. We pray, God, that you would teach us to make the most of the day that you have given us so that even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death or face evil and affliction of various kinds, that we would not lose hope and count it as merely a bad day if it's unpleasant, but instead see that the day that you give us is good, for it's a day that Jesus reigns. It's a day that we walk in fellowship with you through Christ our Lord. In his name we pray. Amen.